Hey everybody, it's JT. What is on your holiday meal shopping list? Well, I would suggest Painted Hills Natural Beef. It is some of the best beef in the world. And your friends and family will be thanking you for a long time if you serve Painted Hills Natural Beef for your holiday meals. And now you can buy it online just by going to PaintedHillsBeef.com. Use the code BBQNATION at checkout and save yourself 15% on your order. Give Painted Hills Natural Beef a place on your table this holiday season. It's time for Barbecue Nation with JT. So fire up your grill, light the charcoal, and get your smoker cooking. Now, from the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland, here's JT. Hey everybody, welcome to the nation. That's the Barbecue Nation. I'm JT, along with my second-in-command, producer Dave and Commander Chris. We're coming to you from the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland, Oregon, and on all of our affiliates on the Barbecue Nation and the Envision Radio Networks, and we thank you for joining us this week. World Champion has a pretty good ring to it, doesn't it? Well, Tom Gearhart and his Mudville gang, so uh, that's my name. That's not their official name. Uh, We're just champion at the Invitational at the Royal, so we're going to spend some time with Tom today, talk about barbecue and why he could never catch a pine cone, but that's a different story. Um, And then we're also going to have some music from Eric Clapton, and before we start, we'd like to thank our friends over at Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Tom Gearhart, welcome, buddy. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me. No problem. Uh, we'll get to the pine cone question later on. I d- did a little research on you. So, yeah, you dug deep. <laughs> I dug deep. But um, this is your first world championship for Mudville? It is. My, yeah, it's first world championship for me, first world championship for uh, for Mudville Barbecue for our team. Okay, so where did you come up with the name Mudville? Uh, so I grew up uh, along with my uh, my teammates, uh, one of whom is, is my one of my younger brothers. We grew up in Stockton, California. Okay. Uh, which is about uh, an hour south of Roseville, where I live now. And one of the early names for Stockton was Mudville. And so we kind of adopted that uh, since it was our hometown as our as our name. Um, yeah, we've got uh, slang vernacular up here in the northwest. You know, we're 600 miles north of you there, but... Uh... <laughs> The weather, yeah. if it the weather fits, you know, it works like that. Right. So um, let's let's kind of get go back, get a little historical perspective for you, Tom. How did you decide, and how did you get started in competitive barbecue? Uh, it was uh, back in, I think, late 2014 is when I really started to get interested in it, and that was kind of at the peak of the uh, the Barbecue Pitmasters TV series. Um, it, it was very popular. It was on TLC. It was on Destination America, Discovery Channel. You know, competition barbecue was all over TV, and so I really started to take an interest in it then, and um, started doing a little research and uh, bought an old offset stick burner and started playing around with it in the backyard. And then ultimately, kind of early in 2015, decided, you know what, this is something that I might like to try uh, and might like to, to you know, to do for myself. And uh, sure. Called my brother or my friends and said, "Hey, let's start a team." And they said, "Okay." And uh, that was that. We were off and running. And our, our first contest in 2015 was in Washington D.C. Um, and uh, we we did actually pretty well. I mean, we didn't get a call, but we finished middle of the field in in all the categories and had a great time doing it. Met a lot of great people, so we decided that we would keep it going. Why Washington D.C.? That's a far piece, my yeah. friend, from where you live. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, at the time I was living in Northern Virginia. Um, 
in my previous lifetime, I was uh, an Army infantry officer, and my final assignment had brought me to Fort Myer, right there in Northern Virginia. Yep. And in 2012, when I left the Army, uh, my family and I decided to stay in the area. So I was living there at the time, and the Washington, D.C. contest happened to be the closest one, and uh, that's, that's kind of why we chose that one to start. So for our listeners who are contemplating doing something like this, and we have a lot of them that are, yeah. uh, what did you learn your first trip out? <clears throat> well, um, wow, what did I learn? I learned uh, it takes, a, it takes a, a, a team, right? It's not, it's not something that somebody um, can really do on their own. You really have to rely on each other um, to help each other out. And at the time we were cooking uh, on a much different uh, style cooker and uh, using a, a much different technique than we are now. Uh, we were cooking low and slow overnight. And so you really had to trust each other to tend and manage the fire when it was your turn to watch the cooker. Uh, so I think the most important thing that I learned was it really does take teamwork if you want to succeed. Kind of like being on night watch, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> yep. And it's pretty easy to go to sleep too. Sometimes when you're you're sitting close to that cooker and it's warm and it's getting a little chilly outside yeah. and it's warm, and maybe you've had a couple of you know bottles of hydration fluid. Sure. You know. Yeah. And then you're kind of looking yep. at it and you go, oh, I'll just doze off here for a minute, and then pretty soon the sun's coming up. And you're, right. and you're in trouble. So, um, or you're fixing to get in trouble if anybody's caught you, so you get that fire stoked up again. That's right. So what did your your brother and your other two crew members think about, you know, going to Washington, D.C.? Like I said, that's a, a far piece from Roseville, California, um, yeah. um, to do all that. I'm sure they were happy to be there and they were excited to do that, but must have been a little... A little nerve wracking for them and you at the same time. Yeah. So, you know, like I, I had mentioned, I had been in the army and moving all over the country and deployed a couple of times and, um, hadn't had much of a chance to see some friends and family, uh, that were back here in California. So it was really more of an excuse of, Hey, let's get together and let's go do something fun. Let's try something new. Um, you know, it's been a while since we've seen each other. It'll be a fun weekend. Uh, that contest is a two day contest, or at least it was back then. Uh, which is a little different than your, you know, your typical one day KCBS contest. Sure. So it, it became a whole weekend. It was like a Thursday to Monday, you know, we're all together. We're going to do this as a team, as friends, as family. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I get it. I don't think, I don't think, uh, yeah, I don't think up to that point they had maybe done um, as much research or, or knew exactly what they were jim jumping into when they agreed and, and said, yes, let's do this. Um, <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, once we started, um, we started at like 10 o'clock on Friday night and I was like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to stay up all night and you're not going to get any sleep. I think their eyes kind of got a little big and yeah, maybe mm -hmm. they wish they hadn't come out, but overall we had a great time. And if not for that first contest and, and, uh, the, the experience of it, you know, we probably never would have continued. Did you have the recipes when you started? When I say recipes, <clears throat> cause we're going to talk about this more in the next segment, but you know, your process, did you, you were, still pretty green behind the ears, so to speak. And a lot of these guys now that are competing go to these really elaborate processes of injecting and rubbing and trimming and this and that. And, and that's all good. If it works for you, fine. 
But, you know, when you step into that arena the first time, it's always got to be a little, like we said before, a little nerve wracking to, you know, make sure if you remembered everything, if your recipe's correct. But did you have a game plan with recipes and trimming and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, So we, I I will say that our, our technique since that first contest has obviously evolved uh, tremendously, uh, obviously. And that just comes with practice, right? So um, in addition to cooking contests every year, you know, we practice several times a year. But back then, yeah, we had recipes and we knew, we knew going into the weekend how we wanted to cook and what types of rubs and sauces and things we wanted to use on each of the different meats. I think what really simplified it for us, especially since it was our very first contest and we really had no idea what to expect other than what time to turn the meats in. What really helped us was my experience in the military of checklists and detailed, you know, playing up down to the minute of what our timeline was going to be. And we were going to stick to our timeline, stick to our recipes and let the chips fall where they may. And then after that, kind of reevaluate what worked and what didn't and make a change for the next time. And I think yeah. that's something important, no matter what your skill level or experience level is. When you do, you know, any kind of food sport, whether it's a SCA event or, or KCBS, whatever, um, having a plan and sticking with your plan and then evaluating uh, the results and making adjustments as necessary going forward is, is key to success. Do you participate in SCA events? I've done a couple of them. Uh, they they aren't as uh, prevalent or available in California. I think California has only had one in the last couple of years. Um, but they are fun. Uh, it's something different to do uh, than a KCBS contest. You know, everybody on the team can do their own stakes. Right. Uh, so so that makes it kind of fun. You can all do them together at your cook site. Um, but yeah, I, I have done a couple in there. They're, they're fun. <clears throat> well, they all get to pick the steaks off the same table. So that's right. You know, yeah. Before we go completely to break, <clears throat> Tom and I'll be back in a few minutes. Of course, I want to tell you about a rare blue lobster, um, at red lobster is donated to a zoo. About one in every 2 million lobsters are blue, uh, due to a genetic anomaly, In Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, though, a red lobster employee spotted one of the rare blue lobsters in a recent shipment to the restaurant. Instead of cooking it, the restaurant management set out to give life to the lobster, which they named Claude. Red Lobster is a partner at Seafood Watch, a a sustainable seafood organization run by the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Seafood Watch helped the Ohio Red Lobster management team secure a new home for Claude at the Akron Zoo. Soon after, one of the zoo's veterinarians determined that Claude was in fact a female, so they named him Claudia. Shortly after we introduced Claudia to the aquarium, said Vince Jeffries, director of marketing and public relations at the zoo, she started moving rocks around to create her own cave, and that was a very good sign. It means Claudia is doing very well. Now, you can read more about this story uh, at USA Today or read about it on Fox News and CNN. I got this thanks to the folks at Digest This. Be back in just a couple more minutes with more of Barbecue Nation and Tom Gearhart. Take care.
Hey, everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Hey, welcome back to the nation. That's Barbecue Nation. I'm JT. We're back talking with Tom Gearhart from Mudville Barbecue. Uh, world champion at the Invitational this year. That's kind of a big deal, you know. Um, you go back there and you really hadn't been knocking on the door for a long time, you know. I mean, meaning time length, um, you know, yeah. two or three years. Was this your first trip to the Invitational? Yeah, this was our very first trip to the Invitational, very first trip to the Royal period. Um, the Invitational was my 24th contest ever. Well, see, there you go. The newness hasn't worn off yet. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So what did people, I'm sure people were very complimentary to you. Yeah. You know, even though, uh, even though we haven't been around a long time, haven't cooked in two different parts of the country, uh, I've got a good cross section of, um, contacts in the barbecue world and some, some, pretty, you know, well-respected uh, pitmasters, both by the community in general and especially myself. Um, so I was able to see a lot of different people that I had met over the years and, and that I've had friendships with over the years. So even though it was our first time there, I, I really didn't feel quite like an outsider. Uh, at least that was my, my outward appearance. On the inside, I was a mess, but on the outside, I was fine. <laughs> well, back to your competition. Um at uh, the nation's capital back there, uh, the barbecue battle. Um, I was just looking here. You got first place for your pork shoulder and sixth place overall. And that was one of your, that was your first one, right? So that was our first cat. It may have been our first category win. I can't, I can't remember. Uh, that was 2017, I believe. Right. And we may have had, we may have had one other call at the Jamboree that year, but that was our, that was kind of, you know, our, our biggest, uh, certainly our best finish overall. Um, and to win uh, in that city, in that contest against the field, um, you know, that, that contest draws some very good competitors. And so to pick up a category win like that and to finish that well, we were very, very happy. How many politicians showed up at that thing? <laughs> I don't recall seeing any politicians in the four years that I competed in D.C. <laughs> I don't know if it's free anything, they'll be there, um, especially free food. You know, they're no different than the rest yeah. of us when it comes to that. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, Tom, how did you, you, you touched on this briefly before. Do you really think your army training and the discipline that you learned in the army uh, has helped you exponentially with your barbecue? Or is it just because you are now because of your service? You know, you're very well organized and orchestrated and, you know, you know how to put a plan together and execute it. I think it's a combination of, of both those things. I think I think I kind of had some of those um, skills and abilities kind of innately and, the, and they were refined in seven years um, in the Army. And then, um, you know, the attention to detail that is required in that job uh, certainly translates well 
into competition barbecue because it's all about attention to detail. It's all about doing things the exact same time every single time you cook. I mean, down to the minute uh, with your timeline and and everything else that goes into competition barbecue. So yeah, I, I do think it helps in, in some ways, and maybe that has helped. Um, I guess kind of accelerate our success. That's it. Success. I should caveat that saying we've only won two grand championships. So. <laughs> well, is relative, I guess. yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, Travis Clark, when I talked to him a couple of years ago and, you know, <clears throat> he'd only been there, he'd only been barbecuing about four years, five years before he went yeah. to the world and won it. So yep. <clears throat> I think Tim Shearer too. So it doesn't take much. If you, if you hit a lick and know what you're doing, you can get out there and, and win a big prize. Yeah. And that, that, you know, that's good for business. Good for com- uh, your competition career. Do you uh, do barbecue other than competing? Uh, I barbecue for my family and friends, uh, but it's a very different style of barbecue that I cook at home. Right. It's still, a, it's still what I would call a Kansas city barbecue uh, style, but um, it's not, uh, it's not competition barbecue, but I do enjoy it uh, around the house and, you know, family and friends, big events, Super Bowl, things like that. <laughs> so you can get it on your shirt. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. <laughs> well, in the army, you'd have to change your shirt or scrub it out. But right. at, at yeah. home, you can just throw it in the throw it on the floor if you want. Nobody's going to say much. <laughs> what uh, when you're selecting your meats, Tom? Um, yeah. By the way, folks, we're talking with Tom Gearhart here from Mudville Barbecue Team. They won the world, the Invitational this year, and it was their first big crack at it. And they took, you know, they took home the big prize. So that's pretty cool. When you're selecting your meat, uh, we got about a minute and a half left before we go to break time. Just go us through the process of like your ribs or your brisket. Sure. So uh, when I'm looking for ribs, um, there's a there's kind of two schools of thought. Uh, the one school of thought is you can go with a, a kind of a better breed of pork or a, a higher breed of pork, you know, a Cheshire pork or yeah, uh, something like that. Um, I typically uh, lean more towards the commodity pork stuff you can buy in, in your grocery store or, um, you know, Walmart or anything like that. Um, and when I'm selecting a rib, I'm looking for a single pack so I can see both sides of the rack inside the package before I, before I buy it. Right. And I'm looking for, I'm looking for any shiners on top and on the bottom. Shiner is when you can see the bone through the meat. You don't want to, you don't want to see that. Right. And then I'm looking for the marbling, which is the, even dispersion of the fat vein through the rest of the protein uh, on the top side of the of the rib rack. And then finally, the last thing I look for is I flip it over and I look at the bones and I look to see if they're running straight or perpendicular to the rest of the direction of the rib. Hmm. Those, those are the things that I'm looking for when I'm picking out a rack of ribs. You don't get a lot of straight ones on some of those breeds. Uh, yeah, some of them you don't. Um, you know, on, on the Smithfield, uh, I have had better success uh, finding straight bones, uh, you know, good, clean uh, bones on the underside. Sometimes you can get uh, a lot of fat uh, deposits underneath the silver skin uh, on some ribs, but I've had pretty good success with this. There you go. We're going to take a break here on Barbecue Nation. We're going to be back, and we're going to be talking some more with Tom Gearhart from Mudville Barbecue, your current world champion at the Invitational. Right after these messages, don't go away.
If you're enjoying JT and his show, come check out my podcast, Around the House with Eric G, where we talk home improvement and design right here where you catch this podcast. Head to AroundTheHouseOnline.com. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT along with uh, Camaro Dave, Commander Chris, and Tom Gearhart from Mudville Barbecue down in uh, the Roseville area in California. But he is this year's current world champion of the Invitational back there at uh, the Royal. Happened uh, oh, about a month ago, a little more than a month ago. So he's probably still just kind of getting used to that that title, world champ, right there. Um, if you'd like to um, find out more about us, you can go to SoundCloud, <clears throat> and we're on a lot of the other platforms. Just type in Barbecue Nation. Uh, not the restaurants overseas, but our shows. Um, you can do that. You can send me an email at barbecue, bbq, at salempdx.com. So uh, a couple of ways to get a hold of us there, and also through Facebook, and through Twitter, and through Pinterest, and through Instagram. Like, did I get any? Did you miss any, Tom? Do you think? I don't know. I think I got them all. The... Yeah, I saw them. <laughs> the main ones there. Anyway, we're talking with Tom Gearhart from Mudville. Um, did you know, starting out, you know, what, four or five years ago, did you actually have the skills to, like, trim a brisket, trim up a uh, rack of ribs, you know, uh, trim chicken thighs? I mean, did you know anything about that? I understood the concepts and the reasons that you need to do those things in order to cook um, to cook each meat correctly or successfully. So mm-hmm. I, I think I had a foundation, and through some research, I was able to kind of teach myself a little bit, but it really wasn't until I started learning from some of the other great pit masters out there that I was really able to to, to kind of take that next step and say, okay, this is how I need to start trimming chicken. And then in the last year, maybe maybe 18 months, I've really taken kind of a third step to where uh, I think it's, I've kind of made that process a little of my own. Yeah. So, so it's a combination of all, all, all three of those things, right? So a basic understanding of why you have to do that. Some people who taught me some things along the way and then refining what I was taught and making it my own to what I'm using now. What do you do for seasoning? Just like say for the the chicken, the thighs or legs, yeah. whatever you choose to serve. What what do you do? What what seasonings do you do? How do you prep that? Uh, so everything that we use is is a commercial product. Um, and early on, we were making our own rubs. Uh, but one of the problems you run into is a the time required to mix three or four. Um, different flavor profile rubs for each of your, each of your proteins. So there's the time, there's the um, raw product costs, and then there's the quality issues because even though you're mixing it yourself, um, it's not going to be as consistent as most of the uh, competition quality commercial products that are out there. Sure. So we transitioned from using our own seasonings to using um, commercial products on, on everything that we cook. Well, most of the commercial products are 
good. You know, they had to be good just to get oh, there yeah. for the most part. So I don't really think that spending, you know, whatever it takes, an hour, two hours to develop uh, a, a certain rub and then the cost when you're developing it because you're still not able to get it down to, you know, 72 cents a pound or something. It's huge. So uh, it's a lot cheaper. And, you know, if you look it up and it's, you know, whoever it is, maybe it's something from Pit Barrel, maybe it's something from, um, you know, Myron, somebody like that. Sure. Uh, um, they've already put the time and effort into it. So I always recommend to people, don't don't try to get too creative with your own seasoning. Just buy it. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, they... Um, <clears throat> They've spent a lot of time and research and R&D on that. So no reason for uh, you guys to waste the money out there. What um, What's your favorite thing out of the categories you have to cook at a KCBS competition, for yeah. example? What is your favorite? Is it the ribs? Is it the brisket? What's your favorite one to cook? My favorite one to cook is pork shoulder. Yeah? Really, I really like that one. Um, it's a challenge just like all of them. Uh, and I really, I really like the challenge of trimming a pork butt, um, finding that money muscle, making it just the right shape and just the right size, mm-hmm. and doing that across doing that across three or four different pork butts um, that we're getting ready to cook for a contest. Um, and to me, that's the most it's the most fun to cook. It's the most fun to put the box together, uh, and in, in my opinion, it tastes the best of all all four meats that we that we cook. Where do you get yours? Smithfield or no, uh, I buy them from Restaurant Depot. There, I cook boneless pork butt from Restaurant Depot. Well, there you go. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, now your your partners on the team, okay? Um, mm-hmm. Have did they after you guys won? I know there's always a bit of celebration and euphoria. Has that one kicked in on them yet, or two? Are they still kind of like, wow, that was incredible. What what did we just do? So I think we all understood uh, what we were able to accomplish by winning the Invitational. Yeah. And um, I remember when we went back to our campsite and back to our trailer, uh, I told the rest of the team, um, party up, have fun. If people come by uh, and want to say hi uh, and want to congratulate us, you know, I want you guys to take care of it and, and, and enjoy that. I'll be in the trailer because I got to inject pork butt and brisket <laughs> for Sunday's contest. So they, I think they really, we all understood, um, right? Kind of the the, I don't know what I'd say, not the importance, not the gravity, but the significance of what we accomplished. Um, and we have so much respect for all the teams that were there competing. We know how hard all of them worked. Um, you know, a lot of those teams have been cooking a lot longer than us. Uh, so we were just trying, we, we tried to be very respectful of everyone that that cooked in that event and not really overdo it. And I, and I, I think we accomplished that goal. Think you got that done, did you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think a lot of it had to do with shock, but we tried to we tried to be pretty modest the rest the rest of that night and the rest of the weekend. It would have been easy to kind of mail it in on Sunday. Yeah. And after you win the invitational. 
But I, you know, as soon as we got back to the site, you know, I said, we're not going to do that. We're going to cook tomorrow as if it were any other contest that we're trying to win. Uh, and we're going to do our best because I think it would reflect poorly on us as a team if we, if we decided that we're just going to goof around and, and mail this one in. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Because you also get a bad right. rap when you do that. So that's right. And and you, you certainly, you know, there's not that many. I mean, we talked to a lot of them here on the show, but there are not that many competition teams out there. Um, maybe five thousand, something like that. That's not yeah. a very big number when you think we've got you know three hundred million plus people in this country. So yeah, you know, that's a pretty low number. But it's a small community. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a very small community. Um, your favorites. If you're not doing competition, what's your favorite um, cooker to cook on? Uh, I have a gateway uh-huh. here at the house. Uh, and my favorite thing to cook here for the family is ribs. Uh, both my kids, I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, and they absolutely love ribs. My six-year-old is actually the one who helped me develop my rib recipe that we're using currently uh, last winter before we started the 2019 season. I I completely reset our rib recipe. We did, we cooked the Del Mar in August, 2018, and we did awful. And uh, so I decided to retool, retool a few things and ribs was one of them. And he helped me cook, cook ribs over the the winter. So I like the way you said that was awful. It was just awful. Yeah. That was awful. It it was, yeah. We had, we had high expectations and high hopes and we just didn't, didn't make the grade that, that day. And that happens to every cook and that happens at some contest there's yeah. nothing you can do about it but oh yeah anyway. well you know if like me keep your expectations pretty low then you're good to go you know what i mean <laughs> especially the first few times out um oh for sure do you cook in california now i mean you're you know you've made it to uh the invitational you've made it out there in the world um but do you go around to uh, you know, competitions, like I said, in central or northern or southern California, or do you just kind of skip those and maybe go up to higher notch ones? Nope. Uh, we've done 14 competitions in California this year, uh, 16 total. The other two are the Invitational and the Open, and we have one more in first weekend in November down in India. So we've cooked all over the state uh, this year. Uh, this was kind of our first big year. Uh, we, we had done the most competitions we had done in a single year was five before this year. So we went from five to 16, um, from 2018 to 2019. So yeah. we cooked everywhere. We cooked in Coachella. We've cooked in Santa Clara. We cooked in Gilroy, uh, Harmony. Um, we were all over the state this year. Del Mar will be in Indio next month. So all over. Two of my favorite places there, Del Mar and Indio, believe it or not. I mean, most yeah. most people can understand Del Mar, but in Indio they kind of go, sure. really? That's one of your favorite. Yeah, we took the guinea pig in Coachella um, in February, and I loved it. Huh. I've never had it. I've never had it. Might be fun to try it. Well, hey, we're going to take a break. We're going to be back with Tom Gearhart from Mudville Barbecue, your reigning world champion at the Invitational right after this. Do not move. <laughs>
everybody. It's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to the nation. That's the Barbecue Nation. I'm JT, along with Commander Chris. And Camaro Dave, I had to get their names right. I say them too fast sometimes, and it turns into blah, 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 blah. Um, we're talking to Tom Gearhart from Mudville Barbecue. Um, what does your wife think of this? Um, you know, what does the, the rest of your family think of this? I don't know how many you've got or whatever. That's fine. Um, but, but let me, you know, let me ask those two things first. So. My wife is very supportive uh, of, of my hobby because that's really what it is for me, the hobby. Uh, it's a very serious hobby and something that I am very passionate about and, and almost to the point of an obsession. But uh, she's very supportive. Um, I think she appreciates and enjoys uh, that I have something that I'm so passionate about. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I, re- I remind her periodically that, well, you know, some guys are car guys and some guys are boat guys. And my, you know, my, my thing on the weekends is I, I like to cook barbecue. There so, you go. Yeah. There uh, and my kids love it. They, they'd love to go uh, attend as many events as they can with us. Um, they love to eat the barbecue that we have left over when we cook a contest. And they love the trophies. They remind me almost every time I leave for a contest. Oh, hey, Dad, see if you can bring back a trophy. <laughs> Yeah, Dad wants the title and a check is what he really wants. So you, know, <laughs> you, you gotta. I mean, they may be too little to understand that, but they will. Trust me yeah, on that. They will. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think is the greatest thing you've done when it comes to barbecue, or the goofiest, if you want to do that? Oh uh, well, I don't know. I think uh, as much with it, even though winning the Invitational was an enormous accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Um, and any cook would be happy to do that. Oh, I don't yeah. think that I don't think that that's the greatest thing I've I've done yet. Um, so, I don't know. I don't know. Something you're thinking about is what is what something I'm thinking about. Oh, the greatest thing you've ever done. I mean, have you thought oh. about something? No, I haven't. I haven't. You know, I would I would like to. I'd like to be able to use barbecue as a platform for something more important. Yeah. I just don't know what that is yet. Well, be- so I think when the time, when the timing is right, I'll know. Yeah. Well, you know, with operation barbecue, <clears throat> a few of those, uh, you know, they're, yeah. they're helping. They don't own restaurants per se, but they're helping. I think, you know, possibly that's a good avenue to go to help, right. help people that way. Yeah. So, so I got to ask you the pine cone story. Yeah, got about a minute left, a little over a minute. So you didn't catch pine cones. So what does all this mean? Okay, so um, I went to Whitworth University in Spokane, Washington, uh, for my undergraduate college education. Yeah, and there are three traditions at Whitworth University that each student is supposed to do before they can graduate. Uh, The first thing is you drop your meal tray at the dining hall. The second thing is 
you find your future spouse and get engaged. And the third thing is you catch a falling pine cone from one of the hundred or so pine trees that are throughout the Whitworth University campus and you catch it before it hits the ground and you save that virgin pine cone because it hasn't hit the ground. <laughs> and I, I can honestly say, I, I think I may have dropped a tray, but I don't, I'm not certain. I did not get engaged and I did not catch a virgin pine cone. Well, there you go. Uh, but I still graduated. So is there a, is there a job for you go around and, and check um, the virgin status of pine cones? I mean, how does that work? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't suppose there is. Only the owner knows for sure. Yeah. Unless there were witnesses to see him catch it. But <laughs> I saw plenty of people catch him. I just, I was never one of the lucky ones to be walking through campus and hear that. You hear the little, the little crack yeah. of the pine cone breaking off and you can hear it trickling through the branches. And you see guys run sprinting, trying to catch these things falling. I just <laughs> never happened for me. All right. Um, Tom, we got to take, uh, well, actually we got to wrap up the show here, but real quickly, is there one thing you wanted to do in barbecue that you have not done yet? I would love to cook Jack. I'd okay. love to cook the Jack. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Before we get out of here and wrap for the week, I wanted to share a couple little news items with you. Workers, uh, union sues the USDA over faster chicken plant line speeds. Got that? The United Food and Commercial Workers International Union and local unions that represent 10 chicken plants in Alabama, Arkansas, Indiana, Kentucky, Mississippi, and Missouri teamed up with the nonprofit consumer group, the Public Citizen, to file a lawsuit in federal court in Washington, D.C. See, back in 2018, the U.S. Department of Agriculture permitted line speed waivers when the National Chicken Council petitioned to accelerate speeds. Well, last week, the union sued the USDA, claiming that the line speed policy not only puts workers at risk, but also makes it harder to safely prevent the spread of COVID-19, as increased line speeds make social distancing almost impossible between the workers. The lawsuit asserts that the USDA allowed 53 of 124 chicken processing plants uh, to process as much as 175 birds per minute instead of limiting production to 140 birds as detailed in the existing 2014 regulations. That is a lot of birds. You can read more about this story at the Boston Globe. And also, more than a million gallons of French wine have been turned into hand sanitizer. Real quickly here. The Alsace wine industry has suffered considerable losses this year due to the restaurant closures, of course, reduced wine consumption, which I'm not sure about that, and a 25% tax on French wines imposed on ingoing U.S.-European Union trade wars. Jerome Mater, a 38-year-old winemaker who usually sends his top-rated Rieslings to high-end restaurants and shops around the world, well, he says his sales have dropped by more than 50% since December. And without space to stock his unsold wine, Mater is sending 15% of his inventory to be distilled into ethyl alcohol. Ethyl alcohol I can't talk today. Ethyl alcohol. Uh, to make hand sanitizers, to make hand sanitizers, a product that is selling briskly during the pandemic. The same is true for Marion Boer's family business, Domain Boer's, which is sending 30% of its production, that's 19,000 liters, 
a way to a distillery to be converted into flavorless alcohol. The Alsace region, I, should, I think it's pronounced Alsace. The, in the Alsace region alone, over 6 million liters of perfectly delicious yet unsold wine will be distilled down to ethyl alcohol. In response, the French government is subsidizing the transfer of wine to distilleries for roughly 5,000 French winemakers in an aid to effort dubbed Crisis Distillation. The last time the French government stepped in was back in 2009 during the global economic uh, collapse. You can read more about this story at the New York Times. I'm JT. We'll be back next week with another edition of Barbecue Nation. Take care, everybody. Barbecue Nation is produced by JTSD LLC Productions in association with Envision Networks and Salem Media Group. All rights reserved.